All right, welcome in, everybody, to the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Today, I'm here alongside Ben Dowsett, as always, writer extraordinaire for Salt City Hoops. And today, our very special guest is Jody Genesee of the Deseret News. So, Jody, first of all, say hello. And hello. Ben, Thank you. you too. Hey, I'm here, too. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, I, I'm excited to have Jody on the show today because, you know... It's, I'm excited, too. I'm, I'm glad Jody's excited to be here. It's first time in the new studios, and it's it's a shiny new place. It is. It, it needs some decorations. All I'm saying is, like... <laughs> Stuff that looks like it should be in packaging and Tyrone Corbin in the corner. I love Ty in the corner. Like he's Ty's watching us. And he's got the Sacramento the Kings, Kings logo, logo on his yeah. shirt. It's yeah, it's a nice touch. I feel. <laughs> I want to go hug that Ty <laughs> poster. It'll all be okay. Can we make up? That's yeah. real life size, right? It, oh, yeah. the, the, I guess I said poster. It's a cutout. Yeah. But, yeah. It's not life. It's not a blow up doll of Ty Corbin. No. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's the the layout of our studio. Um, but it's August fourteenth. There's not that much going on in Jazzland. I, I I suppose the schedule was released yesterday, and we can talk about that a little bit. I, I guess I want to ask you know what games you guys are most excited for. Um, let's go ahead and start with that. Ben, is there something on the schedule that you see? What was your first impression? Um, and is there one game the whole schedule that you're most excited for? Wow. I mean, those knowing my personal fandom proclivities will know that uh, November fifth is the is the day for me. That's uh, when LeBron's coming to town. But uh, besides that one, which I think is a little bit too obvious of an answer, um, I'm honestly I'm I'm. You look at the, the very start of the schedule. There's there's six pretty tough games right out of the gate. You got four playoff teams plus LeBron plus Phoenix, who was pretty much a playoff team last year, and. I'm, I am actually a little bit excited for it just kind of to see where things stand. Like you, those are all good teams. There's a chance the Jazz may lose a majority of those games. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested to kind of see how they get out of the gate, especially with the way that, that last year started off in the fairly miserable beginning. That's the, for me just the kind of the very start, including that Cleveland game where we do get to see LeBron come to town. I'm, I'm interested to see how the Jazz handle a, what I think is a pretty tough slate to start off. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I think it's very possible the Jazz start like oh and six, oh and seven, like they did last year, mm-hmm. and and start start the season off with a bang, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Jody, what about you? Uh, besides your first impression that your wife might be okay <laughs> with this schedule, yeah, that, that's what I go through and look at the schedule. I'm like, okay, how many games are on my kids' birthdays? <laughs> is my anniversary? Am I in town? And is there a game that night? Uh, how about Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve? You know, I, you know, I'm kind of the. It's all about me when they the schedule. So, <laughs> of course, that's what I look for first. I have four kids. Only one uh, birthday lands on a jazz night, so that's good. Two of the two of my kids' birthdays are on days where I'll be flying out of town, most likely. But you know, we have breakfast and then have the cake for uh, dessert after some oatmeal. But no, this uh, it's it. The most in- intriguing part of this schedule for me is the extended All Star break. Yeah, and. I find it interesting that they're still starting the season at the end of October and ending it in the middle of April, so they're kind of compacting the schedule outside of that all-star break, and I don't like that. I think they should have extended or take a week out of the preseason and extend the span of the season, because uh, I think the the players just still get worn down. Sure, that nice that mid-break in uh, February would be nice, but uh, it's still a lot of games in, in a compacted time. Uh I'm looking forward to the Lakers coming in January, and uh, 
I'm fascinated by uh, the Carlos Boozer pickup and Jeremy yeah. Lin, and uh, who knows if Kobe Bryant will still be healthy by then. Hopefully so. I think that'll be a fun game. Uh, It'll be good to see if John Lucas the third is still on the team, of course, with, with LeBron <laughs> I was when, when Cleveland comes yeah. in. But like you're you're talking about Ben and Andy, that schedule to begin the season is really kind of uh, it's a little intimidating for the Jazz because there aren't any gimmies. And even that first game on the road, you look at Detroit on November 9th, and they're kind of a dumpster fires. But who knows what Van, Gun- Van Gundy can do with that team right now? But uh, that's really a, a tough start for the season. Uh, I, overall, though, the the season the schedule's pretty even. There aren't any crazy months where the Jazz have more road games than uh, than home games. It's evenly split. They don't have a, an overabundance of back to backs. They have nineteen, but a lot of those they I saw a stat I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was twenty eight of those games that uh, they're involved with, they'll have more rest than the the team they're playing up against. So hmm. that's favorable for them. Okay. I, I agree with you in terms of the, the, the extended all-star. Like, I like the idea of the extended all-star break, but then when I saw that it was it was the same general schedule except just, like, expand the all-star break and then truncate a few more games into I, I, I that didn't entirely make sense to me. It's like you're saying. It's kind of just the same slate of games just with, like, a slight... Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a professional athlete myself, but that I, I feel like, and yes, it's going to help in the moment that that single week in the in the moment. But for uh, over a cumulative season, and for you know, especially for playoff teams, and for anybody that's that is really worried about resting their good players or about having the legs for the playoffs, I don't know how much of a difference it really makes. Well, and I would say it matters even less for a team like the Jazz that don't have those all stars, right? I mean, the idea is that for the LeBron James, the Chris Pauls of the world, that they're going out and doing all these media appearances, et cetera, during the all-star break, they end up not even having any sort of break whatsoever just because they have all these obligations. And so those were the guys who went to the NBA and Adam Silver and asked for a longer all-star break. It's not the jazz players who were asking for this right. longer break. They don't care if there's a difference between five days and eight days off. You know, it really doesn't help their bodies heal anymore. Uh, Jody, you'll remember this last season where, like, the four or five games coming into the All Star break last season, Ty Corbin repeated over and over again how Marvin Williams, especially, was beat up. Um, yeah. Just from playing the four uh, and. His body, he was really looking forward to that All-Star break, and that was kind of the the reason he thought that Marvin Williams' performance had suffered at the second half of the season. And then it turns out after the All-Star break, he'd played just as poorly as he did before the All-Star break. Like It didn't seem to help at all. It was just a season-long wear down is what I saw, but yeah. Right, exactly. And and so I don't know that five games compared to, or five days compared to eight days would all of a sudden heal Marvin Williams, right? Like right. it's It just doesn't make that big of a difference. But maybe mentally guys will say, okay, I can, I can push through here because I know I have a week off and yeah, I got that spring break, so maybe mentally it'll help a little bit. I thought it was funny. Corby, yeah, it was like a month before the All Star break, and he starts talking about, yeah, we we got to push through. I I don't want guys, you know, just to get trunky and 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 stop playing hard because the All Star break is coming up. I'm like, if he's doing this a month before the All Star <laughs> break, yeah, wait till after the All Star break, yeah, when they have nothing to play for yeah. except for a, a high lottery spot, and the season is almost, you know, still have a month and a half to go with the season, and we saw that. They, I mean, the bottom just fell out for the Jazz after the All Star break. So, well, and with the vast majority of your players being twenty four younger at the time, uh, 
right? Like, I mean, it was really Jefferson and, and Williams were the only, like, sort of elders uh, playing many minutes last year. And so when you're if – you, if the team's getting that worn down a month before the All-Star break, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure – I think it would honestly probably make more of a difference if they also expanded the overall season maybe an extra week, two week and a half. Yeah. Um, and again, I could I could be just blowing smoke here because it could be that the way athletes' bodies respond that maybe I'm totally off. Maybe they, maybe it's maybe it is making more of a difference just those few extra days of of true nothing during a season when typically they you know players' bodies are very very active from day to day type of thing. Yeah, I would I would like to see. Uh, you know, maybe start the season in the middle of October and then go a third of the season and give them a, a little mini, you know, holiday break. Do a Christmas break. Uh, Christmas or break. Yeah. And then and then have the uh, longer spring break at the uh, All-Star time. I think that would help the guys both mentally and physically. I mean, I have no documentation, but it just seems like that would uh, kind of set it up like a school year or something like that. But yeah. It, it, I mean, it is such a grind. I, <laughs> You look at me. I'm the furthest thing from a professional athlete yes you are you're a triathlete uh, <laughs> well there yeah there you go wait now yeah i need to get back to my triathlete <laughs> i i could pass for a sumo wrestler if i'd put my diaper <laughs> on but i the nba season is an incredible grind and it's such a for a beat writer who's uh you know i, I go to about 90 percent, 95 percent of the games most seasons might change a little bit this season but such it's, it's the wear and tear on on your brain is hard. I can't even imagine. I have so so much respect for these NBA athletes and even the coaching staff because they're there the whole time, working insane hours. I mean, just the travel and the way. I I think well, the beat writers have it way harder than yeah. the NBA players, honestly. But <laughs> I, was I really respect. This is a it's a long marathon of a season, and I just don't know how their bodies hold up like they do. Well, that's I, I like for example, and I I. Don't want to bring up your competitor here, but the Salt Lake Tribune has kind of realized this a little bit, I feel like, when they decided to split the um, beat writer duties between Tony Jones and oh, Aaron yeah. Falk. That, like, this is this is a difficult job for just one man to do, to go through all of this travel and whatever else. And, I mean, you're still trooping along, but I, I, I just think that it's incredible that you do go through all the travel and the, you know, how many flights did you fly last year? For example, uh, do you have any idea of what that count is? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many, that's a good question. I know that, uh, I, I figured it out and it's, uh, I'm on the road 10 days more than the Utah jazz. I, and I was, I was giving David Locke some crap about that because they will fly home after the game, about an hour or so after the game, they'll bus to the airport, fly home, the B writers have to write our stories. Then we go back to the hotel. If we're lucky, we are waking up at four thirty to get to a six o'clock flight to get home. But usually, you know, you're you're not getting home until eleven or noon the next day. So that's an ex- extra twelve hours that you're on the road, and you, you take that over twenty road trips or how many every road trip twenty twenty five road trips. And man, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot that's, of days uh, on the road. I. Uh, I'm a platinum at Marriott, you know, easily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is it all one airline? It, it was Are one. You... I, I believe I stayed at, at, at Marriott Hotel. I, I, I did it, did the math one year, and it was 100 nights. Okay. So 100 nights out of 365 was and I've, pretty I've insane. And I've heard stories from you that you can use that 
pull. You've got you've got elite status to be able to call into you know the president of Marriott's number and <laughs> and get things done if you have to. Dan, <laughs> you know him by first Jay, name. I don't know one of the Marriott. I've been to your center in Provo. Hook me up. No, I mean my boss. You know the bosses will. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but I'm, he usually does, as everybody else does. But bosses are funny because they always want you to, hey, you know, maybe the Motel 6 or Super 8 would be a little bit cheaper than than the um, the Marriott's. And, and it's not like I'm staying at the, the high-end, yeah. you know, the, the full-service Marriott's. We're looking at courtyards or three-star, maybe four-star if you find a really good rate, but kind of middle-of-the-road hotels. Uh, but you you do have – that status comes in nice because you, you walk in and, and it's, it's – the, the, the setting, the – the uh, scenery is similar whenever you go to New, or- New Orleans or Memphis. The hotels look the same. They so it feel like feels, it feels feel like, like home. Yeah, it kind of feels yeah. like home. Home away from home. I like that. Uh, I don't know if my poll, the uh, the status helped me very much in Las Vegas. Uh, I was driving down. The Gordon Hayward story broke early in the morning, about nine o'clock, right as I was about to drive to Las Vegas. So I had to spend the next two or three hours talking to sources and, and getting that whole Gordon Hayward story. When he uh, finally signed the extension uh, last in July, and by the time I got to uh, Las Vegas, the Jazz were about to play, and we got to talk to Dennis Lindsay about Gordon Hayward. So I had to go straight to the arena. I couldn't go to the hotel, but I called the hotel on the way down there and said, "Hey, I, I just want to see if I can get upgraded. Actually, <laughs> use my status there." And they're like, "Well, we're full, we're full, but we got you your reservation." By the time I got back to the hotel after going to dinner after the game. My room was gone. And wow. so I'm like, wait a sec. I'm platinum. You can't do this. You're supposed to. <laughs> like, technically, they can kick people out of rooms for platinum like, really? when you're the status. Of, and I wasn't about to say, yeah, go, <laughs> go kick the guy in 117 out of his room and wake him and his three yeah. kids up. Get out. Jody needs the room. <laughs> anyway, so it's like 2 o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas. And there, this lady is call, at the desk. She's calling around to all these hotels to try to find me a room. Finally, they get me at the Red Roof Inn, which is. A dive. I mean, it, it, Motel Red 6 Roof looks like the Four Seasons compared to the Red Roof <laughs> Inn. There was a white powdery substance on my bathroom counter, and I'm... It was flour. It was clearly, <laughs> clearly flour. Uh, I, was, I was scared to touch anything in the room. Anyways, I was there for six hours, and, and they had a room the next day, but... The status doesn't always pay off, but sometimes it does nicely. Sometimes you do get uh, upgraded. In Cleveland, I got upgraded uh, to this humongous suite. I mean, it was like 2,000 square feet for two nights. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, just, what do you do with that? Do you take just, a couple selfies? <laughs> I should have. I should run around and take selfies or like play horseshoes or something. In, yeah, in the, I don't know. Take advantage of the space somehow. So uh, I guess the next question is, is it all worth it, right? I mean, is the long travel, is the various things that you have to run into worth, you know, being the beat writer for the Utah Jazz? Is this your dream job? I mean, it, is there another side to it, I guess? Or is it all just terrible? And Boy, I, I feel like I could be on the couch right now because I go back and forth. Be- I I have a hard time because I, I sometimes complain on Twitter about uh, so hard being the beat writer, and people are like, "You're nuts! You get paid to <laughs> like you guys, you get paid to go to jazz games and to travel to all these different cities, and yeah, it's like my dream job and a nightmare job. It, honestly, it's like it, it's a great job. It's a horrible job. I love it. I hate it. It's, I've never had a job that's like torn me so much because 
I have four kids, ages one and a half through nine. And, you know, from basically the end of September till the middle of April or when, even now the off season is so crazy that basically till July, it's like, all right, see you later, family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, it's something Zach Lowe talks about on the that he's talked about on the the his podcast a couple times, where it's like his you know his friends who don't know too much about basketball. The, the finals end in June, and they're all of a sudden they're texting him like, "Hey, isn't it cool to have all this free time?" And he's like, "Wait, no, no, no. Like, we're not there yet. Uh, you you get like a." A, maybe a very very short down do you really even get like a, a down period do you take a vacation is that yeah the the season ended and i had to do the wrap-up stories and from the locker clean out and some projecting ahead stories and and then i i use going back to the merit rewards i used i mean i have a lot of i had over four hundred thousand merit points I'm assuming that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. It seems yeah. like, yeah. yeah I have I no mean, idea what the I scale mean, you, is there. You can it could get be a, like... a Fairfield in for anywhere between eight and a half or 8,000 or 15,000. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and a really nice merit would be about 30,000 Okay. There you go. Some insider knowledge. Uh, but you can use some of the, the merit points to go on a cruise. And I decided my wife, gosh, she is a saint and she has four kids basically by herself through the whole season. So we used a bunch of Marriott points to go on a, a cruise. So I, I had a week off, but then we, I got back. I, I was out like going between, uh, the Bailey's and grand Caymans. And people are texting me about, the uh, insider info about, unfortunately, someone was wrong about Jim Boylan and other coaching, uh, possible candidates. And so I'm like in South Central America and I can't get away from, uh, this job. But uh, I get back and get – I mean, that that coach search went on forever, it seems, six weeks. And and then we jump into uh, the looking ahead at the draft. And then after the draft, you have the free agency period and summer league. And so really now it's, it's not till August where it, things really settle down. And so I get a chunk of time off in August and mid-September. And, and But then, like, going back to the Tribune, my boss is like, hey – Aaron Falk is covering Real Salt Lake. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? I'm like, yeah, well, he's got Tony Jones to help him out, or Steve Loom. Give me Tony and Steve. Yeah, no, I I think that's interesting. Um, And even this week, I've been kind of struck by, even though it is slow, even though it is August, there's still been news every day of the week. I mean, there's the NBA schedule yesterday. There was a Tory Murray stuff Tuesday. Uh, I think Monday there was uh, oh there's a FIBA play um, Rudy Gobert and Dante Exum playing for Austra- France and Australia so right. like and you, and you have uh, several uh, I mean uh, several hirings on the coaching staff and you the yeah. D League coach and there's always some it's crazy this beat has like turned into like a year round everyday beat. It, it is really crazy to me, like all of these stories that we could conceivably put on Salt City Hoops that I just don't have time to, and and you have to write all of them. So I like I I, I don't know. I'm in, in, always impressed by just that level of dedication, the year-round um, nature of this job. And I don't know how long have you been doing this? So I was uh, Tim Buckley was the, the the main beat writer for the Jet for the Deseret News for uh, a long time for about ten years, and I was his main backup for two years. And we had the horrible layoffs at the Deseret News, and Tim ended up in Louisiana, Lafayette, go Raging Cajuns. And so this was – I've taken over for him, I guess that's been four seasons. And okay. So this would be my fifth season as the lead beat writer traveling and all that craziness. So, But, I mean, I love the job. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it's no. got some it's, – it's tough. It's hard. It's demanding. It's grueling. The pay certainly isn't congruent with what you've – 
think it should be. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're thinking of going into sports journalism, let's just get that straight. I mean, you're not going to get paid very much. So. Oh, no, I know that. Until not... you get to Grantland or ESPN or something. But... None of these stories are deterring me. I'm going strong, <laughs> going for it. But, I mean, the access you have and the behind-the-scenes uh, knowledge that you, you get and the relationships that you build and things that you see and people you meet really is – I mean, there's no job like it. I mean, that's been my most surprising thing just since getting a credential and coming into the team is just how nice, like, the Jazz coaching staff, the Jazz front offices, these uh, NBA lifers that, like, you see on TV all the time and know their names and have read stories about them, you know, for years and years. They're all incredibly nice people. Like, they're, I I, I guess, not all of them, but for the most part, you know, these are just really nice guys that it's awesome to interact with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, you, you really find out that they're just normal people yeah. with, that are tall and have great talent <laughs> or, or, or great basketball minds. But, yeah, I mean, usually the people you work with are, are fairly pleasant. There are times when, you know, Ty Corbin will grumble at you or, yeah. or a player. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> here's a here's a question. This could be for either of you guys, actually. Who and it's a real brief one. Who's going kind of down those lines? Who's who's the favorite? Your favorite athlete that you've interviewed? It doesn't have to be a jazz player necessarily. Um, boy, yeah. You know, actually, okay. The, my favorite. I, I was surprised. I was in Miami a couple of years ago, and honestly, I had a really bad impression of LeBron James. I, I had been at a shoot around for the the. I think I think it was when he was on the Cavaliers or the Heat. I can't remember, but he was sitting on the baseline and just started screaming at a towel boy to bring him a towel. And I just like, you're such a prima donna. Towel, I need a towel. <laughs> uh. And then the whole decision thing. I was like, this guy's a jerk. Yeah. I, I couldn't stand him. I'm like most a lot of NBA fans, really turned off by him. So we're in Miami and do the doing the pre. Uh, it was a shoot around interview, and he was just really engaging and just really had a lot of thought behind his answers and a lot of knowledge of non-LeBron James things. He He's a student of the NBA. He knew a lot about the Utah Jazz. His answers about Stockton, Malone, and Sloan, and even current Jazz players really kind of won me over. I'm like, wow, this this guy isn't a yeah. – he, he's not – Sure, he the whole ego maniac thing. He he ha, you have to be that way, I think, to to be successful in, in the NBA as a superstar. But he had more depth and more. Uh, I I I I was kind of won over. I've I've been a LeBron James fan ever since that. I I was too. No, I I feel the same way. Just like going into that huddle and interviewing, or I mean, it's not even interviewing them. Just standing next to him with a mic and listening to how he's responding to these sort of questions. It is amazing. Just like the level of detail that he's getting into the. He's answering warmly, I guess, right. is one way to put it. And it is, it's surprising for who, you know, what the public image of LeBron is or was to have someone who does that. And I guess in light of that, I wasn't as surprised by the letter that he put out this summer because it sounded a lot like him when we were d- doing interviews and huddles pre or post game. Yeah, and I, I think I, I love that letter. I, re- I really did. I kept joking that Gordon Hayward should have co-authored a letter with me but about video games or something uh, just do <laughs> did you see the brian scalabrini i'm I, coming home letter of course yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes me want to be a boston beat writer i mean that yeah. was, that was yeah. hilarious but uh so lebron i love interviewing lebron honestly i think kobe is similar i uh you know jazz fans hate him but 
Uh, got to respect him. Yeah, you got to respect him. I think he is intelligent. And these guys get asked so many questions and the same question over and over and get uh, so many so much media coverage. I'm sure it's annoying to them, but I think they handle it pretty professionally and, and gracefully. I'm on a local level. Uh, I I used to love. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Kirill Fasenko. Just such oh, a big goofball. Yeah, it, it was fun to be around. Earl Watson. I I mean, it was my favorite part about Earl Watson was not the post game. Although I thought he gave really intellectual answers and as a John Wooden disciple, and I think he's going to be a, an amazing coach someday, uh, and could be an inspirational speaker as well. I I loved his interaction. Uh, before the game, they, they opened the locker room up for about 45 minutes for a media. And he would be sitting down with Jeremy Evans and Gordon Hayward and Alec Burks earlier in their careers. And he would just just come up with the funniest jokes and just give those guys such crap. And I, I remember as Jeremy Evans was leading up to the, his uh, slam dunk contest, he self-appointed himself as the as Jeremy's uh, dunk coach and just I'm just glad it wasn't Matt Harpering. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> so long as Errol Watson was doing most of the the coaching there, and not Matt Harpering, like you took credit for. Yeah, I, yeah, Matt has a tendency of taking credit <laughs> for certain things. Can, can Errol dunk Swat Lake City? Uh, I'm sure Errol could dunk back in the. I've never seen him do yeah, it. I, was... I, I can't remember ever seeing Errol dunk. He, I'm sure he. How he good is a dunk back. coach who can't dunk? <laughs> well, he claimed Derek Favors ended up. Becoming Jeremy Evans, yeah, coach, apparently, and okay. there's you know, but they would they would joke about popcorn, it's just silly stuff, and and to me that was fun because that was, I got a lot of fun blog entries out of that, and so, some of the stuff is not, you know, it's not going to go into the 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 print, but uh, there was a lot of fun interaction, so I I I really enjoyed Earl Watson. Um, uh, there's been quite a few guys that uh, I, I right now I. I I think the Jazz have a lot of nice guys, but there are a lot of kind of bland. We're waiting on the real personality out of this group, I <laughs> yeah. think. I think yeah. they're, it's because they're all young. I think if, I think we're going to, even a, out of this group, a couple of these guys are going to kind of develop and develop those sort of – but I think Cantor's a, a big possibility for one of those. Oh, Cantor's hilarious, yeah. yeah. But, but it seems like he was over the top in both his, uh, his – some of his interviews and his Twitter uh, persona – and I think the Jazz reined him in a little bit. Little. Gordon Hayward is so uh, regarded about everything he says. Derek Favors is starting to get more and more comfortable. Yeah, he's he's he can be funny. I remember he hurt his pinky once, and and I asked him if he was you know going to tape it up or if he was going to miss any games. And he just looked at me. He's like, "I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that as a no." <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think uh, Dante has some potential, I guess, but he also is kind of he's kind of media friendly at this point. That, Very polished, yeah. yeah. Um, which is funny because we almost see that as a downside because you don't want that polish. You want kind of the interesting things yeah. from, from them. Um, I thought Richard Jefferson this season was excellent to interview, just in terms of kind of the insight he shared into what's going on in his head, and and he wouldn't hesitate to disagree with the premise on a question which right. i also really liked just in terms of you know no i i don't agree with you that this three-point shooting was because we didn't get open shots or you know whatever it was um I, marvin williams also gives pretty good answers at least to me um, I, I loved marvin i my favorite marvin story was just the day john stockton was in town for his assisted book signing and, mm-hmm. and press conference i remember seeing marvin walking down the 
the hallway to the locker room doing a Rubik's cube. And for some reason, that just cracked me up. And yeah. he he solved it three different times that day. Apparently, so wow. that's one of his hobbies. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I can't do that. I, I love that. There was another funny story about Marvin Williams when Zaza Pachulia was in town with the Hawks at the time. He came and just surprised Marvin and ripped his shirt just completely <laughs> off of it. Why does that not surprise me about Zaza Pachulia? <laughs> yeah. Zaza might be my favorite player in the in the NBA. That guy is hilarious. I had to go ask him. I'm asking him why. I'm like, why did you rip Marvin Williams' shirt off? And he looked his, looked at the Hawks uh, PR guy, and he's like, who is this guy? Is he Utah KGB? <laughs> something, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something to that uh, along those lines. But there are some uh, fun personalities. The hard part, though, is the season is so long, and they see you so often, which is a good thing. They they become uh, comfortable with you and, and open up the more they know you and, and see you. And I like that part. That And that's one aspect where you really need to be there all the time to develop that relationship so they know that you're not going to burn them. They they know that they can trust you, not that you're going to protect them, but that uh, they just have that that trust with you. Um, but uh, they also see you, and, and you're asking the same questions sometimes. Last year, I I went out of my way to not ask Gordon Hayward <laughs> questions sometimes because I'm like, man, he he's well spoken, and he was the captain, and he was pretty gracious uh, in, in talking. But gosh, he had to talk about so many losses, so. Yeah, yeah, we'd go to Richard or Marvin or try to get some different perspective. Yeah, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Andy. I, I just had to answer for the same questions over and over and over again. You know, why did you lose tonight? Why? What do you think the Jazz need to do in order to try harder and improve every day to get better? And you know, whatever. Like, it, it's just got to be so difficult for him because he's he's more upset that they lost than we are. I, I mean, he's. I, I think he's. It's fair to say that he's the most competitive guy. Um, at least out of in any given huddle with him in the media, <laughs> if right. you will. Like he's the one who cares the most about that, and so it, it's just got to be rough for him to hear those same questions over and over again. And I I can't imagine. It just sounds difficult. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, it was going to kind of be along those same lines. Is that you know? Is that one of the things that you that every now and then, I, if if anything keeps you up, and I don't know if anything keeps you up at night, given that schedule. I don't know if then maybe you just sleep really easily, no matter what. But if <laughs> if anything ever keeps you up at night, is 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 being original one of those things? Because it's you know, especially with the jazz guys, you know, it's got it's it's simpler for. Or maybe it's not. Maybe you're expecting with with road teams that they're just hearing all the same things from their own beat guys anyway, and you're trying to sort of differentiate yourselves from them. Is that is that kind of one of the the larger challenges? Is 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 really having new things to say? Oh, absolutely. And and that and differentiate is a word that our bosses often use, <laughs> hmm. uh, and and I think it's a good word. And and the way I try to differentiate myself from some of the other beat writers because there are really some talented. Uh, writers in in this market and across the NBA, I think the NBA has some extraordinary talent in 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 the writing field. Um, both uh, people who are paid for and bloggers, honestly, I think you guys do a terrific job. I think uh, SLC Dunk does a nice job. Purple and Blues, they put out some good stuff. A lot of people who are really passionate and write. So I think the the way I try to uh, differentiate differentiate myself is by uh, giving good information, but also I try to be a little bit entertaining. I try to use my personality. I keep moving my face away from this mic. <laughs> um, but I, I try to throw some humor and some uh, personality in there, and hopefully it comes across. I think sometimes it does. It does. 
sometimes it probably doesn't. You know, not all jokes are good. But like, for instance, uh, we're talking about guys I love to interview, and uh, and also so many losses last year. A lot of those games just felt the same. Uh, so you would just you would just die for for stories like the one that I'm going to tell you when we're in Charlotte. Ennis Cantor writes a letter to Al Jefferson yeah. before the game. It was their first meeting. Uh, the first time the Jazz played uh, the Bobcats, and and so Al Jefferson comes walking down from the uh, the Charlotte uh, locker room to the Jazz locker room, and has this note in hand, and it's this kind of a, a funny love letter from Ennis Cantor to Al, and those two had a really fun uh, fun relationship. Big and, Al, and you was, won an article, but uh, you won an award for that article that you wrote the that game that gamer that night, right? Yeah, so I I used that letter as kind of the uh, the hook and the angle for my story, and then kind of tied in the the game story, and 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 really it was it was a it was a lot of good material. I mean, Ennis is a is a hoot, and Big Al is as well, and so that really was an easy story to write. And you just kind of you wanted stories like you're like, can somebody buy the uh, 150 square foot or what was it? it was 12 foot by it was 12 by 12 right? 12 yeah so it was like 144 then so yeah 10 by 12 12 by 12 it was huge whatever it was somebody needs to buy the bed somebody needs to do something crazy you know because that makes our our life so much easier as a beat writer to find interesting and fun things to write about and that's a challenge 82 games it's a lot of them are similar they play out similar similarly similarly i can spell it can't speak especially because like you have to, you have to write the pregame blog and then you have to write the you have to tweet during the game and before the game and then after the game you've got your main game story and then your notes and you know whatever else and you right. guys have you know you may have a second writer to help you with some of that sometimes but it's still a ton of content yeah it really is and so you're and sometimes i just think it's too much and and we're we're stretched out. You mentioned Zach Lowe earlier. I clicked on his name on Grantland, and I noticed that he writes two stories a week, I believe, like one main story, and he'll also do a podcast. But, I, man, I envy people who have that much time to really dig into a story and, yeah. and explore it. I, I sometimes equivalent my job to being a mash surgeon. You know, I'm just in there. I'm suturing up the the – the gash and sending them along and i'm certainly not doing brain surgery or anything but as a beat writer you have so many so many uh storylines and and so much material that you really have just you're just cranking out all sorts of content all day long and every day and that's one of the challenges it's also one of the benefits of being a beat writer because stuff happens and so you know you don't always have to search for it but i, I when you do search for intriguing stories and storylines I think that's and and t- take time to explore it and talk to a lot of people and get different angles and I think something you do awesome Andy is uh, bring in the and uh, analytics and that analysis into it that really gives something that's 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 how you can differentiate differentiate yourself and that's kind of the frustrating part of my job is you're just doing so much of the nuts and bolts you can't it's hard to really do those enterprise pieces. Do you want to become like a Gordon Monson or Brad Rock when you grow up? Do you want to be that <laughs> weekly columnist? I, yeah, I think it's a natural progression and a, a natural desire for the uh, for writers to – you kind of start off uh, in the preps and you do that, and I've done that way back in the 90s. And then, you know, if you're lucky, you get to do some college stuff and minor league sports, and I've done that. And then if you're lucky, you get BYU or Utah as a beat and, or the Utah Jazz, and then we all kind of want – 
the, the columnist. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean I'll, yeah, sure, I do. I mean, yeah, I don't want to kick anybody out of their jobs, right. but that's I would love that. I think where you have uh, three or four columns a week where you can kind of explore whatever you want and give your opinion because as a beat writer, you can't give your opinion. Uh, I th- I think that's yeah that's I would love that I would I would love I mean ideally Grantland or e- ESPN the magazine or you know, Sports on Earth just went out but one of those that's where sad. you where you're getting to do some long form writing and spending more time and and have depth to and uh, so you can really flesh out a story like that's lawyer craft yeah i, I no, I, th- I think that's interesting and kind of one of the cool things we get to do on the blog is whatever we want <laughs> yeah so it, it, we have the freedom i mean the downside is we don't get paid but the <laughs> i would take just... the switch off like, i would i would take the being slightly encumbered in the things i have to write to also get paid yeah it's one day I, I i always have to remember that part the paycheck is nice so i want to ask we talked about kind of the nice players to talk to around the nba how about coaching coaching staffs and coaches from around the nba because we kind of have a chance to interview them pre-game or post-game you know a lot of times we're just focused on whoever the jazz coach is and we can talk about that a little bit i suppose what what talking with ty corbin was like over the course of year or two um but uh I also think it's interesting how different coaches have different media styles. Um, like from Jason Kidd being incredibly quiet, so you can't even hear the audio. Oh yeah. Um, to I mean, do you have any? Who's your favorite coach to interview? I guess. Oh, that was really interesting. Jason Kidd was in the Jazz locker room last year and huh. came in to say hi to some guys. I, I must not have been there. Yeah. Well, this is in New York. Oh, okay. Back. Who does Jason so Kidd I mean, know? Actually, I guess this would be two years ago because it was okay. at Madison Square Garden. So. Still, I'm trying to think of who he knows. Uh, that he knew been. Richard Jefferson okay, yeah, and uh, Ty Corbin, and I. I think he said hi to somebody else. I can't remember, but there were a couple of guys that. Okay. Um, so maybe it was last year. Sorry, having a, a brain cramp. Yeah, it, it is fascinating to see the different coaches. I, it's intimidating to be in of Greg Popovich interview. Yeah, you, you're almost a little bit nervous and hesitant to actually ask a question. I have before. He's never gone off on me. He has gone off on other people. It would be an honor to have that happen to me. <laughs> I would love to have Greg Popovich brush me off like, publicly. Like that'd be great. Oh man. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, he was uh, Jim Burton from the Ogden Center Examiner. Mm-hmm. I, I you should have him on and and have him tell his story of when he asked uh, about the Spurs and if they play the right way and and Popovich looks at him he's like that's such a trite question. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> Play the right way. And I thought it was funny that a couple months or it might have been a year later, Popovich was talking about how the Jazz are one of those teams that has traditionally played the right way. I'm like, wait, I thought thought that was a trite question. I I, I think he gets off on it a little bit. Like, I think he is excited to have at least one shutdown per interview. Yeah, he does that to Tony Parks and and Jim Burton. And uh, he likes to pick one guy. He even did it to Mike Monroe, who's an experienced veteran. Uh, writer in San Antonio, great guy. He did that to him about. Uh, he was asking him questions about mid range jumpers, and and Popovich didn't want to get into the uh, the stats, and it was kind yeah. of funny. And he, so he'll pick somebody per interview. Um, but there are some guys that I really enjoy being around. Uh, Terry Stotts, I thought, yeah, I thought it was kind of fun interview, and it always surprises me when coaches start revealing interesting stories because I. I really like Ty Corbin. I don't think that's a secret. I I think he's a great guy. I whether he's a good coach or not, I mean, everybody has their opinions, but as far as a person, he's great. 
he didn't do himself any favors with the way he conducted himself in interviews. I thought that he really shut down and got really defensive and unnecessarily so. And I, yeah. I think uh, that didn't do him any favors really. So no, I, I mean, I agree. And I too like Ty a lot, but it's just, it was frustrating from a media point of view when you want to get some insight on your team to help d- defend the jazz, quite honestly, in a, in a lot right. of cases, you know, what are they trying to do out there so we can kind of understand it and, and look at how, they're doing and you know essentially blame the players rather than the coaching staff and <laughs> well, instead we kind of got get better right and instead we kind of got nothing from either side that <laughs> that was rough i thought that jeff hornacek was really open and and really yeah i mean he was a breath of fresh air last year do you think that was mostly because of the the utah connection or you think he was like that everywhere no I, I, I that's a really good question because i thought it might have been because i have a good relationship with jeff and so when i asked him some questions he was both it, it was down in phoenix when this happened he was really open and kind of had some some fun responses and some insightful responses as well but uh talking to phoenix beat writers and and bloggers even in july so the whole season had gone by there was a remark that wow he is we hope that he doesn't shut down because he's so open already so it was so far and it's such a breath of fresh air my story is that Rick Carlisle challenged me to a game of one-on-one after the interview. <laughs> That's, Did you do it? No, I mean, this is not a... I don't think he was serious. No, yeah, obviously. I hope not, because he would win. <laughs> like, that that was, like, I just asked him a question, and he was like, are, are you serious with that? Did you want to wanna go out and test me on that? I was like, I wasn't... Whatever. Wow, so he was kind of challenging I, I should, you. That was yeah, like, I should play the audio of that because, like, the question was really innocuous, and then I don't know if he misunderstood what I said or it was just wanting to mess with the youngest guy in the huddle. But <laughs> he was, it was, it was weird. I, I'd heard another writer told me that Rick gave him a weird answer and kind of he didn't challenge him to one on one, but he uh, came after him, and then after the uh, interview was over, he gave him a hug. <laughs> so I, did you get a hug? I did Rick? not get a no, hug. No, I think you got maybe, ripped off. Yeah, I may have been. Year. I should have stuck around longer and, and you know <laughs> maybe lingered for the hug, if you will. I I just thought that that was kind of the, the most fun of the job was interviewing those head coaches from around the league because they are they do have such different personalities. Um, Mark Jackson, for example, is a very different personality than like a Terry Stotts. Um, yeah, Mark, Mark Jackson was always like really feisty in his his answers and he, he didn't like my questions about, <laughs> about John Stockton. <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, that's yes. Yeah, huge shocker there. Right. Yeah. Who is, uh, how's doc rivers. I've always imagined oh. doc being incredibly thoughtful and like, and just really like a, a really intelligent, thoughtful. Sorry. I said thoughtful again, person to talk to. Yeah, no, thoughtful is the perfect word because he, he's another guy that doesn't, I mean, he, he's so big that he doesn't, doesn't have to divulge what he does and spend the time that he does. But, he really is open with the media, and you can tell that he he cares about what he the information that he's presenting, and he wants to give you a little bit of of depth to that uh, answer. And, and I remember in, in L.A. last year, he was talking about the defense, and I can't remember the exact context, but he kind of broke it down and, and explained his answer and what the Clippers needed to do and why they needed to do it, and it was refreshing because so many times with the Jazz, we just we just got such generic answers that yeah. it's re- it was really frustrating. Doc's one of the best. Uh, uh, yeah, he's not in the the league coaching right now, but George Carl was similar, I thought. Hmm. 
and I always had a soft spot for George because he's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason. <laughs> well, we're almost out of time for this. Um, I want to get to our crazy trade idea of the week, our, our regular weekly segment. And so, Ben, you've got our crazy trade idea of the week. What is it? I do. Now, uh, I'm going to preface this with this is a trade that while I suppose the Jazz could look into something like this right now, I don't think that's necessarily realistic and, and down that road. I don't necessarily know how many big-ish trades are realistic right now. But this right is now. the crazy trade idea of the week. I mean, we have to, we have to be crazy. Okay, all right. So if they did it now, it would be a little bit crazy. But <laughs> okay. realistically, I think it's, it's something that they – it could be something to look into maybe at the end of this year or at a trade – maybe even at a trade deadline this year uh, depending on how things go. Okay. Um, the target here is Larry Sanders of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I personally am still high on Sanders. I think that the off-court stuff last year and the, the various terribleness of, of Milwaukee and – a lot of sort of outside factors sort of contributed to him not having nearly as good of a year, obviously, as the sort of his breakout season the year before. But I still think this is a guy that, that is a real rim protector, is the, the type of mobile defender that you need uh, in today's NBA, in my opinion. And I think who would pair extremely well with someone like a Derek Favors. So the deal is that the Jazz tra- send uh, Ennis Cantor and two of our large stockpile of second-round picks for Larry Sanders. Now, the, those details, uh, assuming, of course, that the deal was done a little bit later on, like a trade deadline or at the end of the year, maybe those the, the exact details there have to change. Maybe Sanders has a great year and you got to send the Golden State 2017 first-rounder or uh, protect Jazz first-rounder or something, which I don't know that I'd love to do that. But uh, I, I think it'd be fun to... And this is, you know, this is, of course, it depends on how Cantor looks and how Sanders looks and, of course, a ton of team context surrounding it. But I think I think it could be a, a fun deal. I think you put – I think a lot would also depend on how well Derek Favors' shot comes along this year because if he – if he really doesn't continue showing that mid-range that he's at least sort of started pulling out last year and a little the year before, then Sanders can't really shoot the ball either. And having your main starting front court with two guys that can't really shoot obviously isn't going to be too viable. Yeah, we've seen that with Indiana. That even if you have even if David West level of shooting, which is a really he's a really good mid-range shooter, but he, uh, that offense often doesn't have the space it needs to operate with how limited Roy Hibbert is around the, ba- the basket. Um, that would be my biggest question is, can Favors and Sanders play together? I don't know if they'll be able to. But um, I, I like Sanders, and I think that one of the things that will be interesting to see in this upcoming season is whether or not Derek Favors can be the rim protector that the Jazz, and he says that he can be. You know, Given how bad the Jazz were defensively, I think it is up in the air to ask if he really is as advertised and in terms of rim protection. The You, you started off your... Uh your monologue there on the, the crazy trade by saying you're high on Larry Sanders. I am. I, just, I know. It's, an, it's a really interesting <laughs> way of saying it. I know. I just <laughs> wonder if Larry Sanders... Uh, you can talk, <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of question marks about Larry Sanders and his... You know, I think you bring up some good points. I think if he can get himself back on a good path, he he's certainly a talent. What you did there, I see it. I I see (laughs) see what you did there. No, Um, yeah, you know, and of course, it's it's really hard from our from our standpoint to really to know how you know maybe he really is just a head case. Maybe we're not sure. Maybe that's just one incident in a in a group of incidents, and we haven't even heard about most of them. Or maybe it's the other side of the spectrum, and it's just and it's one isolated incident that kind of woke him up, and he's he's sort of learned his lesson a little bit. And although there's there's been more than one, I guess hasn't there? 
but it may just be, it didn't seem like it started before this season before he got the contract which of course the jazz would have to pay but i i think that there is something to be said that it could just be a a crazy phase of his life if well, you will and, and, and look at sorry I, I know you're running up against time but uh, you look at Al Jefferson had had the DUI when he was at Minnesota, and it was real down part of his career. But he, I thought he, the way he responded to that, obviously has been really positive, and and he learned from it, and knows that he should never do that again. And I think that if a player, it's not how you fall, it's how you pick yourself back up. So hopefully he does. Well, I mean, I've I pretty much forgot about that until you just said it. Like I knew that that happened, but I it was pretty much out of my mind. So it's yeah, like you say, you can kind of as long as you are yeah the way you get back up. And when a guy's that young, what's Sanders twenty four? I think. Um, well, we got to remember that's that's really young. Like that's such a young human, and the things that you're being that you're. <laughs> The things that you're being exposed to are so abnormal, I think, for most people that age, and not everyone is just going to handle it with the class and grace that a lot of these guys do. In fact, I sometimes think it's remarkable the percentage of them that do. I'm, you know, I'm, I play adult league hockey that doesn't mean anything. And if, if somebody was coming up and interviewing me after a particularly bad loss or something like that, I wouldn't be able to keep it together as well as, you know, three quarters of these guys at least do. And so to me, that's always something that you got to keep in mind, even with the guys that you think of as, you know, troubled guys or, or quote unquote head cases. I kicked a wall in my parents, or I kicked a hole in the wall of my parents' house after my team lost a game back in the day. So. Yeah, I mean, my I, soccer reactions are legendary <laughs> on Twitter and otherwise, so I, I don't think we have to go too much into that, right? <laughs> no, I, I think it's fair to say that there are, there are the crazy reactions in all of us, and so I think it is, you know, the NBA players have the scrutiny and whatever else, but I think it is a good idea to give them the benefit of the doubt in a lot of scenarios, unless they show repeatedly that this is, you know, a, a trend. Um, there are bad eggs, but... And I think the the point they bring up that's relevant to the Jazz this year, and it's a question we have going in: Can Cantor and and Derek, any you throw Rudy in there, can that group work as the front court for the future? And I'm not. I think that's not, the biggest not, question. Saying, or yeah, this, this year, I think that and whether Dante and Trey, how that whole scenario works out. But I the big the front court, it's a huge question. I, I'm I think that it, maybe it can. And maybe it can't. I am yeah. curious to see how it plays out. We'll have a lot more evidence this season. All right. Well, we are out of time on the Salt City Hoops podcast, but thanks again, Jody, so much for joining us. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me in. And Ben, thanks again for coming once again. We thanks. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, we'll have another show again next week. So tune into that. Till then, thanks for listening.